Well, good morning. My name is Derek. For those of you who don't know me, and I just want to say a special welcome to everybody. I want to welcome you guys uh, with us at Grace West Falls Church, which is where I normally am on Sundays. And those who are with us online, so glad that you are joining as well. Uh, we are in the middle of a series that I am really fired up about called Rebel with a Cause, if you've been tracking with us over these past few weeks. Um, but if you haven't, let me explain the premise of the series. So basically, Jesus is the rebel, and the cause is a rebellion against sin and selfishness in our world. And what is so cool, and John kicked this off on Easter Sunday talking about this, is just think about this for a minute, a rebellion against selfishness. How much better would our world be if we were less selfish and more selfless? Think about the relationships in your workplace. Think about marriages. Think about uh, family dynamics. Think about friendships. Think of how much better off our relationships would be if we were more selfless. So this is a cause that truly we can all get on board with. And at the heart of this rebellion, um, Jesus makes a statement to his followers. He's actually um, talking to his closest disciples, but really these words are so much for us today. Um, and basically he, he says something kind of interesting on the surface. This is uh, recorded by one of his disciples named John, and it's in John's account, one of those four accounts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the 13th chapter of John's account in the 34th verse. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, a new command I give you, love one another, which is weird because that wasn't new at all. I mean, they knew this command that you're supposed to love one another. So what makes it new? Well, here's what makes it new. Jesus expands upon this and he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And right there, that captures the heart of this rebellion because how has God loved us? Let's think about this for a second. How has God loved us? Selflessly sacrificially coming to this world in the person of Jesus Christ. So in that same selfless, sacrificial way that God has loved us, we are commanded to love one another. I got to tell you, if you're here today and you're like, man, I just, there's so much to Christianity and to religious faith and, you know, just I'm trying to get clarity and, and you know, what does this all boil down to? I, I got to tell you, this could be your, your verse that you could, you know, put on your mirror or put on the dashboard of your car and, and just every day see it before you because it captures so much. It's really the essence, not only of this rebellion that Jesus is leading against selfless, selfishness, but really, it's the essence of Christianity. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. Now, you may be here this morning, you're like, hey, that's, that's really great. You know, it's pretty profound and, you know, kind of in, in theory as a concept, that's, that's really great. But what does it really look like? I mean, like practically speaking, when we get right down to it, I mean, you're talking about real relationships, real examples, real situations, difficult people. How do we love the way that God loves us? And what I want to talk about particularly this morning is how do we love and serve 
people who are in great need, people in poverty, people who are chronically dealing with issues and life just seems to be too much for them. And when we have those moments, those opportunities, when we cross paths with folks that are really, really in tough spots, how do we love them the way that God loves us? We've all been there, right? You've been walking somewhere and there's somebody and you just, you know that they're desperately in need and they ask for money, they ask for help and you're kind of in your mind, you're in that quandary. What do I do in that moment? What does it mean to love that person as God has loved you? So when we get in moments like these, one of the places that I go, I don't know where you go, but I go right to Jesus because I'm like, okay, well, How did Jesus do it? He's the one who gives us this command. Let's search through those accounts of Jesus' life. Let me open up my New Testament and let me read through when Jesus was dealing with people in very, very difficult situations who were in chronic places of need. What did he do? What did it look like for him? And that's that's kind of always my go-to on any issue or anything that I'm struggling with, with my faith, is, is there, can I see how Jesus handled that thing? Can I see how Jesus reacted? Can I see if, how Jesus talks about that situation? And in this case, you can look at what Jesus did, um, but it's not necessarily all that helpful, just to be totally honest, because we see Jesus interacting with hungry people, and what does he do? What does he do? Oh, he, man, he just breaks some bread and some fish and boom, like everybody's got food, which is really, really cool, but not necessarily applicable. What does Jesus do when he encounters people who are, man, they, they, they're, they're sick, they're, they're dealing with all sorts of situations, they, they have afflictions, they're, they're lame, they're blind, they're crippled. What does he do over and over and over? He touches them. He heals them. Not only that, but he, he sets them free from even their whole way of thinking. You know, that, that it basically says your, whole, your sins are forgiven. You're completely free, not just physically, but, but spiritually as well. I can't do that. Can you do that? So I'm looking at how Jesus basically handled and interacted with people who are in situations of dire need. And I'm like, okay, um, Jesus, I'm a little bit jealous that, you know, you had that ability to do that, and, and I don't, but that's not particularly helpful to see how you did it. It's really, really cool. It's awesome, okay? And I can pray for that person, but, but what, is that, what does that mean for me? In 2018, in the Washington, D.C. area, what does it look like, practically speaking, to love and serve those in need? Well, 2,000 years ago, there was a a guy who came to Jesus and he was really wrestling with something along these lines. It actually says that the reason he asked Jesus the question that I'm about to share with you is because ultimately he was trying to justify himself. He was a very uh, morally upstanding guy and he basically was trying to make sure that he was being a good neighbor. That, you know, he was doing that everything that, that he could do to help his neighbors. And so he asked this question. He said to Jesus, he said, so Jesus, could you just clarify for me? Like we talk about, you know, love your neighbor, but who exactly is my neighbor? Because he just wanted to make sure that, that he, was, he was being that neighbor to people. And here's the thing about this guy, and maybe you can relate to this. He did what most of us, I would venture to say, do. He 
loved his neighbor. He loved people who thought like him, who believed like him, who were in the same socioeconomic class as him. Um, He pretty much was really good at loving his neighbors who were just like him. And so he asked this question, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And in classic Jesus fashion, Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable to make his point. And it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. You might have heard this before. But Jesus responds in, um, in Luke's gospel. Luke is a physician who gave a very detailed account of the life and death of Jesus. And uh, Luke, in the 10th chapter, starting in the 30th verse, records this parable that Jesus told. Jesus says to this guy, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, what you need to know is that this path from Jerusalem to Jericho, you indeed would be going down because Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level and Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. So it was very much you're going down. It's about a 17 mile journey. And uh, this is a quite a treacherous path. So um, when Jesus was telling this parable, this wasn't just some hypothetical story. This would have been a path that many people who were hearing this would have traveled this road. Um, This was a desert, rocky, mountainous path. And there were tons of places where people could hide. And why that was important was there were many places where you could be ambushed, you could be robbed, you could be mugged. And um, so when Jesus said that there was this guy traveling this road and he was attacked by robbers, um, everyone would have, hearing that, would have said, oh yeah, that's, that, that, that happened all the time. In fact, this road was known as the way of blood because there was so much violence and crime that happened on this path from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jesus says, this guy was attacked by robbers on this road. It's, he says, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, Jesus says, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, you need to understand that a priest basically represented like the most holy, God-fearing person of that time. So this was an incredibly religious, morally upstanding person. And the Levite was basically like the second most religious, morally upstanding person. So Jesus is saying, here are these two very, very religious, moral people, very highly esteemed in the eyes of the Jewish community. And they basically walked right past this guy who was beaten, naked, and and dying. Then Then he says, but a Samaritan as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, for those of us today, in 2018, we hear this and we're like, oh yeah, well, of course the Samaritan's gonna stop because, you know, he's the good Samaritan. You know, Samaritans are such good people. What you need to understand is that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus said, but a Samaritan, it was like the whole room was like, what? You see, a Samaritan was a Jewish person who had essentially turned their back on the Jewish faith and had married outside of the faith. To a Jewish person, a Samaritan was a traitor. 
They were someone who basically just said, you know, forget all my religious upbringing. I'm just going to go this other way. And they had turned from God. So this is someone that was, was a despised, despicable person. And Jesus said, but this person, this hated Samaritan, he is the one who stopped and had pity on this man. And we're going to come back to these next couple of verses in a second. I'm going to skip over them for right now. But basically, they detail how Jesus took care of this man. And then Jesus says in verse 36, he says to this guy who asked him this question about who's my neighbor, Jesus says, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, and I imagine quite begrudgingly, he said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What you need to know about every parable that Jesus tells is that a parable has a main point. There's one main compelling driving reason why Jesus told that parable. And the main point that Jesus was trying to get across to this man is he's like, I am trying to radically redefine for you who your neighbor is. It's not somebody who looks like you, who talks like you, who believes like you, who behaves like you, who comes from the same background as you. It's not just that person who's your neighbor. Your neighbor is absolutely anyone and everyone that you cross paths with. That is your neighbor. That is the one you're supposed to love. So that is the overarching, most important point of this parable. That's why Jesus told the story. But there's some detail in this parable that I think is tremendously helpful. It's kind of secondary application to the main thing that everyone is your neighbor, but it is phenomenal stuff when we get into the practical nuts and bolts of, okay, how do we love our neighbor? How do we love that person who is desperately in need? How do we love that person um, that, that we believe God's called us to, to love, but we're just not sure, practically speaking, how that, how that works? So, I want to read those couple of verses we skipped over, verses 34 and 35. So it says that the Samaritan came by, saw the man, and he had pity on him. Verse 34, it says that the Samaritan went to the man and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. What is significant about this moment? You remember, he's traveling along the way of blood. Okay, this is an extremely dangerous trail. The first thing we notice is he stops. He stops, he goes over to this man and he is immediately putting himself in harm's way. He is at risk. He has no idea where these robbers are. They could still be lurking, ready to, ready to get him. He interrupts his journey and whatever it is that he was gonna do for the sake of his neighbor puts himself in a tremendously vulnerable position and we see him taking time out of his day to stop and bandage this man's wounds, to, to pour over this uh, wine and oil to, to, to disinfect his wounds. So he stops, he inconveniences himself and he takes time to help this man in need. Jesus continues, says, then he put the man on his own donkey 
brought him to an inn and took care of him. So no more ride for this Samaritan guy. Now he's off his donkey. He's put the guy on his own donkey and he's going out of his way, taking him to an inn. And it says that he's caring for this man. The next day, Jesus says, verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii. So that was equivalent to two full days wages of a skilled laborer. So no small cost there. It says he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So he doesn't just stop and help the man in this moment, but he ensures that this man is going to have a continuum of care, that someone is going to be continuing to care for him when he no longer can. And so what we see is this man, this Samaritan man, takes, he basically takes time and he spends his own money sacrificially to help his neighbor. Now, this is a phenomenal picture of what it looks like to love our neighbor, particularly our neighbor in need. Now, you may be saying, man, that's awesome, Derek. That is really inspiring. You know, the story of the Good Samaritan, it's awesome. It's kind of a gut check for all of us to make sure that we're being a good neighbor. But here's the thing. Um, you know, we're in 2018, and that was a long time ago. And with all due respect to, you know, what Jesus said, we live in different times. It's really cool from a philosophical perspective, but life is so different today than it was 2,000 years ago. I mean, things are so much more complicated today. Things were so simple back then, right? I mean, this Samaritan guy, he's not having people blow up his cell phone. You know, where are you? You know, you're supposed to be here. All kinds of stuff. He's got all kinds of pressures and demands and things going on. They would just see him when they saw him. They would just assume he got caught up in the, the journey. They would just figure the donkey, you know, hurt himself or whatever, you know? And, and so it's like, he had time. I mean, he could do this sort of thing. But today in Washington, D.C., I mean, it's just far more complex than that. So how informative is this really for us today? I mean, you may be thinking, I mean, come on. 2,000 years ago, they didn't, they didn't have hospitals. They didn't have police forces, right? I mean, today, that's, I mean, that's why we pay our taxes. You do pay your taxes, right? Um, that's, that's why we pay our taxes. You know, we, we call 911. We, we make sure that that person, okay, good, they're all set. There's other people who can take care of them now, right? So you may be saying, I just, I'm not sure how informative this is for us today from a practical how-to perspective. And you know what I would tell you? In a lot of ways, you're right. In a lot of ways, you're right. But we have to be so careful we have to be so careful that we don't just dismiss this. It is so easy for us to end up like the priest and the Levite in this parable. You know, the priest and the Levite, as they pass by, I bet they had legitimate reasons for passing by. I bet they would have made great Washingtonians today. I guarantee you as they walked by, they didn't feel bad about it. They felt very justified in the reasons why they needed to keep on moving. Maybe um, they had urgent pressing matters that only they could attend to. 
Maybe they realized, hey, I'm not on a donkey. I don't have any supplies. Maybe they realized there's a whole bunch of people behind me who are just around the corner and they knew that those people were going to help this guy. I bet they even prayed for that guy as they walked by. And maybe that's kind of how they were able to feel okay about leaving this man along this very dangerous trail, bleeding and dying. We just have to be so careful that in the busyness and the craziness of life that is this city, that we don't end up just falling into that same trap and that same mindset that Jesus is trying to guard us against. Because, you know, the bottom line is here that to be a good Samaritan, we're going to be inconvenienced. We don't like to be inconvenienced, do we? We want to help, but we don't like to be inconvenienced. I've had a rather inconvenient situation in my life uh, for some time. Um, and it's in my house, uh, in my, my downstairs bathroom. Um, we have what I like to call a light-duty toilet. I don't know if any of you guys have ever experienced a light-duty toilet, but it's great for light-duty work. You know, it's great for the light-duty jobs, but it's not good for the heavy-duty stuff, okay? When you get to the heavy-duty work, uh, the toilet has major problems. And so over the course of, uh, of, of years and years, um, occasionally um, I will be called in because um, we have a problem with the toilet downstairs and I need to come and unclog the toilet so what do I do? I come in with my plunger and, uh, and I am able to get that toilet fixed within a few minutes and, uh, and I, I take care of the problem. And what I love about the plunger is it's, it's pretty easy. It doesn't, I mean, it's, it's not fun, right? It's not fun at all. But, but here's the thing. Does it cost me a lot of time? No, it doesn't cost me much time, just a, just a few minutes. Does it cost me a lot of money to do the plunging? No. So it's a relatively easy lift for me, right? I plunge that toilet, I walk out, the toilet flushes again, everybody cheers, woo, you know, and I'm the hero. So I love the plunger. It's beautiful. It's my way to be able to fix whatever the problem is relatively easily. And so over the years, we've just known it's a light duty toilet, you know, you just kind of deal with it. But within the last like six to 12 months, um, it's becoming lighter and lighter duty toilet. And so the frequency of which I have to do the plunging just, it, it got to the point where I was like, okay, this is, this is crazy. And so um, I decided I'm going to snake the toilet um, with one of these, uh, these toilet snake things that you can rent from your local uh, tool rental place. And for some of you who've been around Grace a long time, you know I shared many years ago, I actually had an issue where I snaked a drain down in my basement uh, and I broke off 75 feet of snake inside the drain. Um, so I learned a lot from that. It was really great. It was, I chalked it all up to an awesome learning experience and I regained the confidence to try this again, uh, much to my wife's dismay. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna get, we're gonna snake this, this toilet. I'm gonna get this situation finished. So I run this snake through the line and, and I'm able to clear the line, clear out a bunch of stuff I'm not going to talk to you about right now. And, um, and man, for like a week, the toilet is flushing beautifully. It's amazing. Life is awesome. I mean, we're like at heavy duty toilet stage, you know, it was awesome. The toilet could take anything you throw at it. I was just on, I was on cloud nine, man. I was feeling so good. <laughs> and then we had a major problem. <laughs> There was one time where just, you know, something went down and 
Nothing would work. Not, like, literally, it was just at a total standstill. And so what did I have to do? What did I have to do? I had to call in a professional, right? I had to call in a plumber. And uh, that, was a, that was an investment of a lot more time and a lot more money to, to have that person come in. And um, there was a lot of work that had to be done on, uh, on my line. And um, we eventually got to the place with the help of this professional, this expert who knew exactly how to handle this situation, where now I am proud to say that my toilet is back to a full-service, heavy-duty toilet. If you ever come over to my house, my downstairs bathroom, you're good to go, okay? You can go with confidence. It's good. It's a beautiful thing. So, so I say all that to say this. When we are faced in those moments with a clogged toilet situation, and it's kind of a bad, it's a bad metaphor, but, but when we're faced with a situation where we encounter somebody and they're in a place of great need, in that moment, what goes through our mind? You want to help them, don't you? Really. I mean, honestly, you, you want to help them. You, you, you like, okay, I, I need to respond. I know I'm supposed to respond. This is what Jesus would have me to do. So there's a need and you say, I want to help. I want to meet that need, right? I grab my plunger. I want to, I want to, I want to go after that toilet. I want to fix the problem. But here's the problem. If we're going to be really honest, when we face that person in that time of need, we want to help, but what, 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 what happens in our mind? We go, you know what? I'd love to, but you know, I'm just, I'm so busy right now. I have so much other stuff going on. I either don't have the time or I don't have like the, the mental energy or the capacity to deal with this right now. And so, so often that kind of comes into our mind and we're like, ah, I just, I just, I don't have the time. I, I just can't afford to be inconvenienced right now. The other thing that kind of creeps into our mind when you're dealing with someone who's really in a chronic need situation is you go, I want to help, but I really don't know what's helpful, right? Have you ever been there? You don't really know what's the best thing. Is this going to help the person? Or is this just actually going to make things worse? Is this going to enable, you know, certain patterns and certain cycles? Is, it, is this actually not going to be good? Is this going to make things worse? And so oftentimes, even though we want to help, we're like, you know what? We really don't have the time and we really don't have the expertise. And so um, what do we do? Where does that leave us? Yeah, you make a phone call. That's right. Um, well, yeah, exactly. You call a friend. Well, I'll tell, you, um, I'll tell you what we do here at Grace Community Church. Because, yeah, we're not the experts. We don't necessarily know what to do or how to help, right? And before we get in there with our plunger, before we try and snake that toilet ourselves, um, this is what we do. We come alongside, we partner with organizations who are experts in this, who do know what they're doing, who do know how to help in a way that is truly going to help and empower and love our neighbors. And I just got to tell you, um, we partner with some incredible organizations here in our city. Just I mean, I'm so privileged to have gotten to work with these organizations and to get to know them and see the work and hear stories of changed lives. It is absolutely awesome. And so as a church, we partner with by financially supporting all kinds of local 
organizations. We call them our missions partners, our local missions partners. And I just want you to know, you should be encouraged by this. If you've ever given here at Grace, just know that you have actually helped this partnership to happen. So as I start telling you a little bit about these organizations, you can feel so good knowing, hey, you're helping to fuel what's happening in our city. So, um, and many of you serve in these local organizations. We have, we, we, we feel not just with dollars, but also with our time in serving a number of these organizations. And you can find these on our serve page at trygrace.org. You can find a whole listing of different organizations and different ways that you can serve. But I want to tell you about something that I am so excited about. And hopefully many of you have heard about this. Um, we've mentioned it a few times in the services in the past. Maybe you've seen it on social media, but we are doing something two Saturdays from today um, on Cinco de Mayo, so it's easy to remember, May the 5th, it's a Saturday, Saturday morning, um, called Loco for Local. So we said Cinco de Mayo, let's have fun with the theme, let's call it Loco for Local, because we want to go loco, we want to go crazy to just radically serve and bless and love our neighbors through all of these amazing uh, local missions partner organizations, kind of these local rebels that we have partnership with in our community. And um, I, wanna, I just want to tell you about, about some of them. But just to paint a picture for you, what's going to be happening is this Loco for Local event, we've decided that, hey, instead of just going to like one place and serving one organization, why not, um, why not rent out Kenmore Middle School gym, okay? They have big old gym in there. And why not just bring all of our local missions partners into the gym where we can serve everybody all at the same time. So it's like a, like a service expo day where you can be like, cool, I'm going to do this for 15 minutes. I'm going to serve over here for 30 minutes. We're going to go here and do this. And you just get to kind of have a little taste for serving all different kinds of organizations all on the same day. I just think it's so, so cool. It wasn't my idea. Uh, someone far more inspired than me uh, who came up with the idea, but um, we're, we're doing this thing as a church on May the 5th. And, um, so let me tell you about some of the things that are going to be happening because this is just going to be so much fun. You're not going to want to miss Loco for Local on May the 5th. So uh, one of the things that we're doing is we are going to be packing produce. We're going to be packing 10,000 pounds of produce. And some of you who've been coming to Grace for a while, you've, we've done a produce pack right outside of our physical uh, campuses. And uh, so we're going to be doing that. Um, that is a partnership we have with an organization called the Arlington Food Assistance Center. AFAC is the acronym. And um, AFAC is a really cool organization that feeds hungry Arlingtonians, uh, our neighbors who are in need. And um, so we're going to pack all this produce that comes in bulk and get it ready to be distributed to individuals and families who really, really need it. And um, here's what I want to let you know. Uh, while it's going to be a blast and it's fun to be hands-on and packing produce and all that kind of stuff, it's great uh, for any age and whatever. Um, it's way more than just about food. So Here's the thing that's, that's cool about this. So every single person, there's thousands of people who are getting uh, benefit from Arlington Food Assistance Center and their various distribution sites. Um, but when they, when anybody who gets food from AFAC um, must be registered with Arlington County. And why that is incredibly significant is because we ultimately want to be way more into loving our neighbors and just making sure they have something to eat, Right? 
We want to make sure that other needs are taken care of. And so by getting connected to Arlington County, this is a beautiful thing because you get connected with a caseworker who can help you with a job search and getting trained and, um, and help you with, with kind of getting a financial game plan together and any sort of like counseling or, you know, life coaching, mental health sorts of things. Those are all services that you can access. And it, and you must be plugged in and accessing those services to then be you know, eligible for these other things. So it's this continuum of care. And uh, it's just, it's really, really cool. This is the way that, that um, people are getting pulled out of poverty. So in addition to this uh, 10,000 pounds of food we're going to be packing for AFAC, we are also going to be assembling 3,000 toiletry packs for an organization called the Arlington Street People's Assistance Network. And, um, I just think this is a blast. Um, just these little, those little packs for folks to make sure that they have good health and hygiene. Um, ASPAN works, basically, they're, they're working with the homeless population in our area, and particularly people who are chronically homeless, trying to work with them. And uh, this, this um, toiletry pack will be way more than just worrying to make sure that someone's got clean teeth and good hygiene. But um, again, what's so cool about this is that the folks who are struggling and are chronically homeless, as they're engaging with ASPAN, right? ASPAN has this comprehensive program that they have that works with the homeless to, to really help them. And this is such a neat statistic. But over the last five years, ASPAN has been able to reduce the number of people who are homeless in Arlington by 64%. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. So this is way more than just, you know, food and way more than, um, than you know, a toothbrush and toothpaste and a little uh, bottle of shampoo. Um, we're talking about helping people, helping our neighbors be truly empowered to be lifted out of horrible situations that they find themselves in. A couple of other fun things we're going to be doing uh, during Loco for Local on May the 5th is uh, we're going to be packaging 5,000 diapers for an organization called Hope of Northern Virginia. Um, we have um, Hope serves um, tons and tons of new moms, and the great majority of those moms are single moms uh, who are in poverty. And just, it's a very, very fragile time of life for, for those of you who um, have either been a parent in that first year, first two years of life, or you've seen that firsthand, you know it's, it's hard enough when you have great resources around you. But if you can imagine not having a lot of resources or help around you, and uh, so Hope is just trying to make sure that those moms have what they need to be able to start their kids off in life to a really good start those first couple of years. And we're actually going to be able to supply all, all the moms for an entire year. I just think that is so cool. Uh, diapers for an entire year to make sure that they um, you have one less thing that they have to worry about. Um, we also um, are partnering with an organization called Northern Virginia Family Services, which you may not have heard about. Um, and what we want to do for Northern Virginia Family Services is we want to write uh, a thousand notes of encouragement. And I'll tell you why. <clears throat> Northern Virginia Family Services does a lot of different things, but they have this program for survivors of torture and trauma. I'm going to say that again. They have a program for survivors of torture 
and trauma. So those horrific stories you hear about that are happening in places we don't want to think about, um, there are people who end up here as a result of the torture and the trauma that they have endured. And uh, one of the things that um, is just kind of the way that our system works is that, you know, there's a, there's a process, there's an application process, there's a vetting process um, to be able to become legal and to be able to have work papers and, and all that sort of thing. And in the meantime, um, there's kind of this gap where it's it's very hard to receive any sort of help or services. Um, so even people who are here uh, with, I mean, absolutely deservingly so, um, they're in a place where they're in tremendous need and a place of vulnerability. And Northern Virginia Family Services helps helps these folks, uh, our neighbors, to be able to uh, just find a place to stay and be able to access resources that they need. And, um, and so we as a church, we, we've come alongside that. We're happy to help in many situations. Um, and it's, it's a privilege to be able to do that. But one of the things that um, is so true for all of these folks, um, and the, the stories are just, I mean, they are just, just bring you to your knees and put tears in your eyes. But one of the things is just, you know what? Um, what's, what's the need? We're like, how can we be a blessing? How, what can we do? It's like, you know what? They just need hope. Just hope, encouragement. It's gonna be okay, you know? God's with you. We love you. You're gonna make it. So we just wanna write notes for all of these people, all these families who are here who have been through more than, than we could possibly even imagine. So we wanna do all this fun hands-on stuff. Just imagine this gym with tables everywhere and we got a station where we're packing produce. We got a station where we're assembling toiletry packs. We got a station where we're putting diaper packs together. We got another station where we're writing all these notes of encouragement and hope to be passed on to our friends in need. And in addition to that, we've got other organizations too. Many of you have heard of these two because they're kind of our, our flagship uh, local missions partners, Casa Chiralagua and Little Lights, where we are so privileged to uh, have the founders of uh, these two organizations as a part of our church. And um, these are two of the most extraordinary local missions organizations you could imagine in our city. Um, absolutely top-notch. And, and you might have heard about them uh, for the work. Like They both do very similar work. They're doing holistic ministry. CASA is working in uh, North Alexandria, and Little Lights is working in, uh, in Capitol Hill and other parts of uh, the, the district. And you might have heard about them, or many of us volunteer with those organizations with um, like tutoring and mentoring of the kids, and that's where both programs kind of started with that need. But, um, but truly, they're working to come alongside and empower whole communities from children all the way up through adulthood. And it is, it is an extraordinary privilege to be able to partner with them. They're also going to be there, and there's going to be some fun stuff we're going to be doing with them, and we're going to learn how we can, we can continue to partner with them and support the missions that they have. So it's just going to be awesome. We're going to have all this stuff going on, and um, we're going to have food trucks that are going to be there. We're going to have games. It's, it's just going to be a blast. So what I'm telling you is you, you can't miss it. You, you've got you to gotta be there. If you're going out of town, cancel your plans, reschedule your flight. It's all good. Uh, you're going to want to make it. And um, I'll tell you the, where you go to do all this is you just go right to our website, trygrace.org slash events. It's right there on our events page, local for local. You click on it. And we actually are asking that you'd RSVP. We have two shifts Two shifts. Um, we have one shift starting at 9.30 in the morning. 
Um, it's kind of, we're going to work hard for an hour and then we're going to play for an hour. All right. So don't show up an hour late. Okay. Don't do that. We're going to work hard for an hour and we're going to play for an hour. And then, um, and we're going to give a chance for folks to clear out so everyone else can come in and park. And then at noon, we're going to work hard for an hour. We're going to play for an hour and, uh, we're, we're going to call it a day. We're going to radically bless uh, our neighbors in need through partnership with the experts who know truly how to love and serve our neighbor in a lasting, sustainable, empowering, life-giving way. So I just, I want to say, let's all come together, okay? Let's come together as a church and let's do this together. Can we do that? Who's fired up besides me? Anybody fired up? Yeah, this is awesome. This is awesome. Yeah. All right. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go. God, um, we thank you for these powerful stories that you've given us. I just pray that when we have our Good Samaritan moments, when those opportunities come our way, God, help us to love people well. Help us, as you say, Jesus, to love people the way that you have loved us. Show us, lead us, guide us, send us partners and helpers who can help us to do that well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.